Greetings and salutations. Welcome to What's Next with Nate Brosey on the podcast today. I'm speaking with Scott Collins. He's a good friend of mine, a member of the Action Athletics family, president of Aria Marketing, and a really interesting person to talk to. Uh, we got into a lot of things from the political to the absurd to the politically absurd. Uh, I laughed a ton, and I hope you do too. Uh, I want to remind you that conversations on What's Next may contain strong language and subjects not suitable for children. Thanks for tuning in. Here's Scott Collins. Um, yeah, so I, I felt completely overwhelmed with this whole thing when we were first starting because I was looking for a, a program to actually run the podcast, and Christian was like, oh, yeah, you have to use this... Uh, uh, FL audio, whatever. I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I'll download. He goes, it's free, but like, if you want to use it, you know, blah, blah, blah. I've never felt so old in my life. I pulled <laughs> up this program and there were so many things on the screen that I was like, uh, I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> I imagine it's like, like an 80 year old person, like listening to dubstep and just going, what <laughs> the fuck? Right. <laughs> So, uh, I've, instead I've decided to go with this Adobe audition, which was a little bit more, I mean, um, who likes that feeling of being in an F 15 cockpit and you don't know how to pilot something like, why is that a gooey design for anybody? Yeah. I mean, we were talking about that the other day, I think when we were working out we're like Kyle Kinane has that awesome bit about, you know, uh, you just freaky Friday yourself into like a situation, which is like your worst case scenario. Like I think he uses a Benny Hanna chef or an 18 wheeler driver, but, um, you know, I, when you're younger, like I never would have even thought about that, right? I'm just like, oh, here's this new thing to discover. I right. can just go out and do, you know, oh yeah, there's tools. I'll figure them out and I'll use them. And then, like, so I, right before we got started here, obviously I was in the bathroom. I'm checking email or whatever, and uh, I, I follow this guy, uh, Jim's Woodworking or whatever. I, I think it was like an Instagram thing. And it was probably late and I'd had a couple of whiskeys and I was like, oh, cool woodworking projects. Yeah, I'll buy this. And now I get these emails from this guy like probably two, three times a week. And the title of this email was difficult is just easy work done slowly. Do you agree? And I was like, kind of. <laughs> I, like i don't know it's a really weird statement like i think it just broke my brain I, so the, the idea is again you break things down into their simplest forms right so like say for example this this audio system um somebody started with a very simple concept where they said okay i need to record a single track and then they went oh well i also would like to record a second track well, we're working digitally. It's not like I have to lay down wires or cables or anything. All I have to do is repeat the program or algorithm that I put in. Right. So let's just make it 100 tracks. Let's make it 1,000. What does it matter? And then they load in at a default. And then someone like working with that over and over and over again, eventually it becomes this complex thing. I mean, that's how anything started. You know, We have simple machines. You have the wheel. Now we have cars. Right. Um, and so I kind of thought, well, yeah, Difficult could be easy over time, but it's a, there's a stacking effect. And so, like, w one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was obviously we're you know we're both small business owners, you know, uh, <clears throat> going getting smaller the, every day. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> I wanted to talk about that too, but man, I wanted to start on a more positive note. Um, so when you first started out. 
right? Like I, I remember when we first started out with the gym, we didn't know anything and there was a pretty steep learning curve. Um, but when you first started out at, at Aria, like kind of what would you say compared to what you know now about running your business? Um, like take me back to like when you're, when you first started like day one, uh, even before you owned it, um, what were some things that you just weren't aware of mm. that, that you didn't know? Yeah, I guess there was a lot. And I was a kind of reluctant small business owner. I never planned to really run my own business, or at least certainly not so soon. But I had worked at this company for 10 years, and it was transforming into basically something I had built. And the founder was just taking a lot of money by not doing anything. So I decided I needed to you know, buy the company. Not fair to say he wasn't doing anything. He was a great boss and a good guy. And you know, treated me great, but he had started an agency that did lots of different marketing stuff. And over time, the PR business I had a big role in building became most of the business. Mm -hmm. And so now it's a PR firm that I'm running and he's not. Um, so I realized I had to either buy the business or start a new one. And I didn't uh, really know what all would be required, but I did know a lot of things that I hated about working in agencies over the years. So really, it's a company built on hate, Nate. <laughs> <laughs> hate can be a tremendous motivator. I mean, crap, it's gotten me this far. <laughs> I mean, maybe put nicer. Um, I learned a lot of uh, I learned about a lot of things not to do in agency life, mm -hmm. and I tried hard not to do them myself. But boy, there was a lot of stuff I didn't know about the legal side, the accounting side, um, you know, the HR piece, managing people and personalities. I had had some experience with that, but um, that's such a huge part of the of the business. Really, it's most of my time, most of my administrative time, aside from time I'm doing on actual client work, is spent basically trying to you know help people work together better keep company people at the company, keep people from leaving the company, keep people from killing each other. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's a lot. And uh, I think people really underestimate how hard the people part is. I think so too. Uh, that was, and, and, you know, talking about simple, uh, you know, simple systems that grow to be more complex. Obviously there's lots of different businesses in the world. Like, you know, we're, we run a, we run a gym, you run a PR firm. Um, you know, all the way up to say like an Amazon.com or you know, a JetBlue or an Air or something. Um, but those universalities where, yeah, everybody's managing people. That was the hardest part about our business. Like I, I was saying when um, we're going to be doing this workout a little later today. And when I first started training, um, I always thought that encyclopedic knowledge of exercise was the number one thing that I needed. Yeah. I, I needed to know more than all of my clients. I needed to know more than YouTube. I had all these secrets. There'd be secret exercises that I would just unlock for everybody. <laughs> and that's not that's not the case. Like what what you need is is the accountability piece, right? So there was something that I I didn't know. Um, and then as our company grew, like when it was just me, like Sherry talks about it, like it was the good old days. It was like me and Angel just sitting around the old old gym, just you know talking about different workouts we were gonna do and talking about doing stuff like this. How can we, you know, how can we reach more people? How can we exchange ideas? You know, because the the part about personal training that I absolutely love the most is the interaction with the clients. Like that's 
I, I love having conversations with people. Like, I'm sure I'm not the most intense trainer uh, out there, and I'm certainly not, you know. You might be married to the most intense trainer out <laughs> she's there. Pretty, she's pretty intense. Um, but, like, I, you know, I see lots of people who put videos out on YouTube, Instagram, or whatever. And they're like, you know, this is the, the thing that you're going to do for maximum gains. This is how you're going to maximize your performance. You know, this is how you're going to get everything out of this workout. And we want to hit this and hit that. The fact is, for most people, they're not training for the Olympics. They're, they want to get sure in in shape, whatever that. I know you can't see. I just made air quotes. Uh, whatever that. I think we all felt the air quotes. <laughs> you can feel it in the air. Um, you know, everybody want, has their idea of what that shape is, and we're all chasing this idea of performance. Um, but you know, at, at the end of the day, there's it, there, there's a, a gray area, or there, there's a spectrum. It's not like an on-off switch where yeah. like, oh, okay, if I don't do this exercise precisely this way in precisely this manner for precisely this amount of reps, I might as well not have done anything at yeah. all. And that's, that's the ridiculous part of it. So my training style over the years has kind of evolved more into conversations while moving, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> like yeah. there's exercises that we, that we love to do, and obviously we're making the gains, but that's um, – my favorite part is is this. It's it's the it's the conversation. Yeah. Um, now I don't necessarily. This is probably why I don't charge my clients all the time. Because <laughs> <laughs> like at that point, like I and I I do this stuff for for free because I I enjoy you know this is fun you know yeah um, that idea share and so that's sort of the most important thing that I learned you know that I didn't know starting out was that that human connection is really the most important part of. Of training now, extrapolate that out to make it a little bit more uh, to this difficult thing of owning a small business. It's, uh, like you said, managing employees. When it was just me, of course I controlled everything, and there wasn't payroll to do. There wasn't HR. There wasn't uh, you know I didn't have to communicate the schedule because I could just kind of come and go. And if I wanted to make the schedule right. different, sure, yeah. just tell people whatever it was. Now with twenty some odd employees. There's a lot of communication that needs to happen. Yeah, and you know, I don't know about you, but uh, like I'm an idea guy. I, I I'll sit down and come up with something creative and 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 be like, yeah, this is great. Let's go do it. That's not enough anymore. No. Now you have to go. Okay, how are we going to implement this? How do I communicate this message? So take that out from just. I mean, from your perspective, obviously, if you want to roll out a new a new policy or a new um, new direction. You know, you said you took the company in a different direction, you know, when, when you took over, we did. um, you know, what, I guess, what hurdles do you find in, in this communication? It seems like we're more connected than we've ever been, right? We're, we've, we've got more technology in our pockets. Uh, we're, we're more talked to and, and more interacted with than ever before. Why? I, I don't even know if you think, if you feel this way is, is communication difficult? Yeah, and it's more than just communication. I mean, it's one thing inside the four walls of the office to <clears throat> tell people what you want them to do, but there's so much. It's so much more than that. It's <clears throat> excuse me. It's empowering them to do it. It's making sure they have what they need to do uh, to do the thing you've asked them to do that they can understand in their mind how to operationalize that it's not too hard to figure out because they got a lot of stuff that they're trying to do. And they can easily kind of put off one thing or another unless I stand over them and say, no, do do this one thing I'm really excited about, which that's not good either. So, you know, you need 
you need to give make sure people have the tools and the knowledge and and they're comfortable with it. I, I think I spend a lot of time telling people not to worry about doing a great job on something, mm -hmm. you know, because I feel like the, you know, the fear of doing it wrong is a huge obstacle yeah. to taking on any kind of work. Absolutely. So I'm constantly telling people, hey, don't worry about it. You know, no one's going to see this or it's just the first pass or these guys don't care, whatever it is to try to take the pressure off mm -hmm. so they feel, you know, less, uh, less of an obstacle to, to doing it. That's how we like, I, you hit the nail on the head. That's how I feel about this podcast. I've been, I've been waiting forever. You know, I've been saying, oh, yeah, we're going to do it. It's going to be great. Let's, let, let's have a conversation. And I'm sitting here, what if I get it wrong? What if it's not like a Rogan-level podcast? What if it's not like a Your Mom's House or a, 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 just shout out to all the, the podcasts that I listen to? <laughs> <laughs> just crass toilet humor. Um, but no, like Sherry loves, uh, there's one called Childish that she listens to with uh, Greg Fitzsimmons and uh, Allison Rosen. Um, and I mean, there, you know, there's, there's a lot of different, podcasts out there um which is kind of what you're talking about creating that barrier it's like okay one what if i get it wrong what if i hate the way my voice sounds on <laughs> when it's recorded which you will I, of course what if i don't have the right microphones you know what if people can hear the air conditioning in the background and what you know that just shut off on cue wow wow uh, you know what if i don't have the right equipment or, and then I don't know. Maybe it just took a global pandemic for me to finally get off my ass and go. Oh, it's it's okay to fail. It's it's okay to screw up. I'm, you know, I was wanting to talk to you a little bit about parenting uh, later as well, but um, it's like one of the first things I see in Dylan and in, in my oldest daughter. She's like, she's so afraid of messing up. Yeah. That like, she won't even try. Mm. And her her teacher's kind of old school, and she's like, oh, she's a perfectionist. And I'm like, well, sure, that's sort of the old school term for it. Like I was the kid that um, if we had a project to do in school uh, or even in college or whatnot, I would do it. And if I made a single mistake, rather than correcting that mistake and moving on, I'd go back and start the whole project over again because it had to be perfect from start to finish. And so the problem with approaching things in that way is when you do something, when you finally put a period on something, it's usually pretty great because you've taken the time to get every step right along the way. Now, obviously, I'm speaking in generalities, but um, the problem with that is that you rarely end up ever doing anything because you're always going to make mistakes. Right. And so, you know, we spend all this time spinning our wheels or whatnot. Like, I was, I, I've been up since 4 o'clock this morning uh, getting getting ready for this day because, like, I, Sherry could tell how nervous I was because, one, never done this before, even though – pretty casual and natural this is not exactly a high stress you basically do this every day yeah um it, now we're just recording it in digital format but like we're not even committing this to any kind of tape or whatever like it's just it's in the ether um and then this like this online workout thing that we're going to try a little later today like she could tell i was super nervous about that she's like why you you work out all the time you're always talking to people now you're just doing it in front of a camera and I'm like, yeah, but what if I don't get the live stream connection right? And I like watch all these YouTube videos and all these guys have such great quality of their, you know, their camera work looks amazing. Do they have somebody who holds the camera for them? Or like, what kind of equipment do they have? I should go out and buy more equipment. That is always my number one go-to. Whenever a new project comes along, I'm like, I can't do it because I don't have the right equipment. I need to go buy more stuff. You do like stuff. I Yeah, look around. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> 
I'm I'm a tech I, like I I love tech stuff like this um because to me that that gives me traction right that that allows me to be inspired by uh you know new solutions like yeah. my my shed at home Sherry jokes all the time that like <clears throat> one of my favorite things to do is just be in the backyard playing with my toys yeah chainsaw pruning saw <laughs> like lawnmower you know leaf blower well it's curiosity <laughs> you know you it's it's maybe the most important characteristic I think you can have as a, you know, as someone running a business or living a life is curiosity. I, I feel like that's been my saving grace, that and my ability to sound like I know something about a topic after studying it for five minutes. You're very good at that. Yeah. <laughs> Some of the conversations yeah. we've had. I learned that in college, you know, like I, I had to write a whole paper, you know, in a book I hadn't read. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I read a chapter at the beginning and a chapter at the end, and I was able to write, you know, 4,000 words that made it seem like I really understood this book. Yep. That's a career. And so, that, <laughs> so that's, I mean, everybody does that, right? And we're, we're all chasing this, like, so especially now, like, so it, obviously, this is a really weird time. Like, we've, we've never experienced anything like this. And I don't mean that in the, in the Trumpian sense of, like, this has never been done before. Or, you know, oh, it's incredible. Like, what? You know, you get the impression of like when you say when you say something too often, it loses its clout, right? Now, having watched the news for the last week and every press briefing, I've watched more more White House press coverage than I probably have during this entire administration over the last week. And it's probably a good thing because it didn't take me long to figure out like to figure out the, the pattern. Right. When when people have a, a pattern of speech and I'm, I'm as guilty of it as anybody else. My employees tell me all the time. They're like, oh, yeah, you just. Oh, yeah. Or I, I don't know. They all have these little catchphrases that apparently they say behind my back. Oh, yeah. Brosyisms. Yes. Wow. Apparently. But watching these these press briefings, everything is, oh, you didn't know this. Oh, lots of people are talking. <laughs> oh, every, you know, this is the biggest, probably the biggest. I don't know. Maybe the biggest that's ever been done before. Everything it's, is the biggest ever. And now that's not necessarily like <laughs> the connection I made there is when you were like, yeah, I read the first chapter of the book and the last chapter of the book. And I pretty much just bullshitted the rest and convinced people that I knew what I was talking about. That's confidence. That's that, that sort of, uh, that quality that, that you know, it's hard to put your finger on that mm. charisma. I mean, we, even before, uh, you know, this administration kind of came, came into being, um, or was elected. It didn't just like manifest out of, out of thin air. Um, I used to joke with my buddies all the time. Like, would you, who do you think would win in a, in a standard American election? The candidate who's the most qualified or the candidate who has the most charisma. And I think no in, contest, right. In the way that we run our system now, it's a popularity contest, yeah. right? And, and, and I don't know if you watched that Netflix, uh, the Netflix thing, the dirty money, um, they did one on Trump. They did one on Kushner. Um, and they did them on a bunch of other things too. They did them on the Volkswagen, uh, uh, emissions tests and a bunch of other stuff. But, um, I watched the one on Trump and, and this is just me being stupid. I didn't know that the term con man con is short for confidence. Mm, I'd, right. I'd never heard that phrase before. And I was like, Oh, getting your confidence. Right. Yeah. Because if you're going to sell somebody snake oil, you better have a lot of confidence. It's amazing with Trump because he's so bad at it. Like 
you know, he's taken fake it till you make it to the most ridiculous extreme. Mm-hmm. And he gets up there and says, yeah, every, all the doctors are surprised that I know more about epidemiology than they do. It's crazy the level of fake it till you make it that he embraces and has for his whole life. What what is surprising to me though is how many people aren't just, you know, like like I think you and I are, just so find it so transparent and so obviously stupidly, ridiculously not true, not, you know, not real expertise. Mm-hmm. But somehow people have, have confidence in the guy. I guess they haven't met enough kind of mid level bullshitters like you and me to be prepared <laughs> oh, come on for... i'm a high level bullshit <laughs> i've always thought that so is my therapist um but uh, yeah i mean I, I get and that's where like i understand you know how we kind of gotten into this position because like you know if people are frustrated nobody likes to be told that they're that they're wrong or that they're stupid or that they don't matter right and i think that's one of the biggest problems that that you know, the Democratic Party, especially, or liberals woke in general. culture in general. Yeah, yeah. This, this cancel culture. We, we created this. Right. You know, we're, we're living in PCU because we don't know when to stop. Yeah. We, we don't know when to just say, okay, that's, you know, enough is enough. Yeah, okay, I'm not trying to offend you. But if that person or that, that group's goal is no matter what is just to be offended because that's the only time that they yeah. feel justified – then there's no level of, uh, uh, you know, that you're going to be able to satisfy them. Right. <clears throat> so it's just, it just, it creates this, this feedback loop. And then eventually it just stretches, you know, stretches it to a point where everybody else just goes, throws up their hands and goes, I can't, I can't take it anymore. Yeah. Well, there's pearl clutchers all around. You know, I think it's human nature for a, a large percentage of a society to get their kind of individual self-worth from feeling like they're following the rules better than other people mm-hmm. and to police other people for not following them. And it happens, you know, in the, in the, um, Christian, you know, born again world where we're, you know, constantly trying to be, you know, holier than thou. It happens. Yeah. In, my dad grew up in that. Right. That happens was, in woke yeah. culture where we're trying to be more woke than the next person, <sighs> yeah. uh, you know, more sensitive, more politically correct. Uh, it's, you know, uh, it happens in, you know, in MAGA culture where, you know, we try to be more and more, you know, supportive of the president no matter what. Mm-hmm. It's, I think it's human nature and it's um, I, one of our basest instincts. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of the, the worst things we do in life. And I, I think, you know, the president and MAGA world's whole like war against political correctness is just like, you know, just like the left's war against uh, you know, um, Christian culture. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's the same, it's just the same coin on, on two sides. Yeah. We're, I mean, that's the one thing, I mean, say what you want about his politics, whichever side of the coin you, you fall on. That was the one thing I liked about Obama was like, at least from my perspective, he was, he had an agenda of uniting, yeah. of trying to bring people together, yeah. you know, for, for all of their, I think there's a bit of that with Biden as well. I think he he you see him as sort of like the um, the understudy um, in that whole thing. To you know, he was he was in the administration for eight years. You know, you're going to pick up a thing or two, even for a guy as old as he is, uh, about the way to talk to people. You know, and the the way to get people on your side. Yeah. Um, it's one thing to 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 fire people up and 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 scare them essentially. And so like, you know. Now I, I've said for a, for a long time, like I, I like Charlie Baker. I think he's doing a pretty good job. I think he's a pretty reasonable guy. 
you know, a Republican governor in a largely blue state, or at least the blue metropolitan area of, yeah. of Boston, works with the Democratic, you know, mayor it's of Boston. He's been a great governor. He's done a really good job. Yep. Um, you know, so so to say that this is any in any way political, that you can throw that argument right out. But when I kind of, it's so funny that everything comes back to Trump these days. When I started to lose faith in in like these different levels of politics was when I saw, what was that guy's name? Blagojevich? Rod Blagojevich, yeah. He was on The Apprentice. Chicago. Right? Yeah. He was on The Apprentice. Now, granted, maybe NBC and its producers did their job of making him look like a bumbling idiot. Um, but I think he helped himself uh, out in that regard as well. When you watch someone... Like, I guess it's kind of be hard to have faith in a political system that allows that level of idiocy. Yeah. As good-natured or maybe good-intentioned as it is, maybe it's not even good-intentioned, I don't know, but to rise to a position of power and then have some sort of influence over... Yeah. How you know how things operate here? That's right. I mean, I mean, Blagojevich is a great example, but he's a quintessential politician. Politicians are, like you said, charismatic. Mm -hmm. They're people that can get the public excited about them and what they're talking about, and to vote for them. That's the main skill for a politician. Being an actual expert in anything is really not part of what gets you elected. It's great if you're both, mm -hmm. but really good. You know, good politicians are just good, charismatic speakers. Good um, leaders are really different. And I think, you know, the successful political administrations, either at the state level, like we have here in Massachusetts, or at the national level, are when you have both. You have a charismatic leader who empowers uh, subject matter experts to run things and do it right, and listens to them and takes what they tell the leader and puts it into charismatic terms to communicate it to the world. Trump's weird thing is he hates expertise and science and um, bureaucracy and, you know, got rid of all those people to, uh, to put in place Trumpists who, you know, aren't a lot of them experts in anything except for, you know, kissing Trump's flat ass. And, <laughs> That's it's all at McDonald's. That's really like that's the problem we have now. You know, the they they just had a story out today about the Obama administration's uh, Zika virus uh, pandemic response report that they did. Mm -hmm. And after Zika, they felt like the the country was really unprepared for a pandemic. They put together a whole pandemic response playbook, and they and they transitioned it along with all the other bureaucratic learnings they had to the Trump administration during the during the campaign transition into the presidency and it was basically ignored uh that's classic Trump you know mm -hmm. everything obama is crap everything yeah. anybody else says is crap and i'm going to do it my own way but see is that uh, maybe that's sort of a, a reflection of where where we're all going now maybe as a culture is is this idea of cancel culture or, 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 you know, when you lump people in based on one characteristic, right? Like, so, um, and I, I try really hard not to do this, um, but, I'm, you know, I'm the same as everybody else. Um, well, 
take that on top of like the thing that I read the other day that was like when the when the shit hits the fan and you know all the supplies run out, um, make sure to rob somebody's house with a Bernie uh, flag out front because you know they won't have any guns. <laughs> and I was like, well, kind of. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like maybe not up in Vermont. Like I would assume if you're out somewhere, you know, who knows? But now we're now we're all of a sudden equating. Uh, call it leftist thinking with being anti-gun. And that's why I, I thought it was so poignant the other day when, when Joe Biden was uh, you know, on camera and he was uh, yelling at that guy who was like, you're coming to take my guns. And he was like, you're full of shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I actually saw a little bit of teeth out of him that I was like, yeah, you, you have to break that yeah. stereotype. I like that too. People criticize him for that interaction. I liked it. I thought it, I thought it was great because it's, it's honest speaking, like after being fed three, four years of like, just crap. Yeah. Um, I, I, even if there, even if there's a Republican candidate, I just want, I think I just want somebody to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> that's all it really is. Well, I think that's what a lot of people like about Trump. They think he's being honest, ironic as fuck, but <laughs> that's can't. what they think. I know. I have such a hard time, you know, it's like you're standing there, and you're like, I don't, like it was when I pulled up uh, the the studio program with all the different tracks and everything on it, and couldn't make sense of it. I feel like I'm staring at that. Yeah, I'm going, what? This doesn't make any sense. Like, yeah, it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, but you're telling me it, it's a dog. Like, hmm, yeah. I don't know, or an American eagle. <laughs> well, you know, America first. Um, that being said, so here's where you know, in 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 the latest, um, obviously we're recording this. Um, the day after uh, they just voted on the stimulus package um, that is very pertinent to both you and I as small yeah. business owners. We've got to figure out, um, you know, how, exactly what's coming in. You know, hopefully a little more than $1,200 per adult. Yeah. Plus uh, $500 a kid. Oh, great. Yeah. yeah. So that's, I mean, it's not nothing, but in the scope of how this is all going to work. So I was more interested in the small business stimulus package of it, obviously. Now, Mnuchin yesterday goes, you'll be able to get it through your local banks, and they'll be backed by the SBA. Okay, great. So that means the bank's going to recoup their money. Um, I get to go through my local bank for the loan, which means I'll probably get my money faster because they have access to all the accounts. He goes, by the end of next week, we may be able to get your loan time down to one day. And then he hit with the crucial thing. He said, these are going to be eight-week loans. And when they come to term, they'll be forgiven. That's huge. Because that's not really a loan. I mean, it is. But if it's forgiven at the end of the eight weeks, then great. That makes up for lost revenue. Yeah. Then Mr. Confidence stands up and, oh, thanks, Steve. Great job. Gets up there and he goes, these loans are going to be great. They're going to be great. And someone goes, well, what is this going to do? How's this going to stimulate the economy? And he goes, oh, well, those loans are going to be paid back. So the money's just going to go right back into the economy. Well, that's a completely different thing. If I'm taking out an eight-week loan, and at the end of it, it's not forgiven, but now I have to pay it back. So now right. you've shut down my ability to do business for almost two months in lost revenue, I'm hemorrhaging money every day. You're requiring that I keep my employees employed. That's one of the stipulations of the of the loans, according to Mnuchin, was that as long as you keep your employees employed, the loans are valid. Yeah. 
But if you terminate employees after the loan, maybe then they come due. Maybe that's a detail that would make sense. Yeah. But mixed message. Yeah. I, like, so now here we are, you know, a day later and I'm going. <laughs> Still don't know. And we're always in this game of like trying to figure out what Trump meant to say. Like what he said one thing, but what did it really mean? Right. I mean, I guess if Mnuchin is saying we're going to give you this loan and we're going to forgive it as long as you don't, you know, fire your employees, that sounds like it's not, not a loan. It's a, it's a gift. Um, I mean, loans get paid back. So if it doesn't have to get paid back, it's not a loan. I guess it would turn into a loan if you, if you violated the terms by firing your employees, then you would have to pay it back. Maybe what, and, and if Trump is saying, well, that money's going to go back into the economy because it's going to be paid back. Well, if you're paying back your loan to the small bit, to the bank, local bank, and the bank is paying it back to the Fed, then that's not going into the economy. It's coming out. So what he must have meant, or who knows, but maybe what he meant was it's going to be paid off, not paid back. That loan's going to be paid off by the government. Right. So you don't have to pay it back. That so that to me would make stays, more sense. Yeah. Right? Like that's... That's how a stimulus. Although, why do you call work. it a loan? Right. I would. I mean, unless, like, I could see making it a, an interest-free loan and giving it some really long term and saying, oh, "We're going to give you, you know, two hundred thousand dollars, and you don't have to pay it back for ten years, and you don't even have to pay make payments or interest for the first two years, something like that." That would be a loan. I think that's but, more along the corporate lines of what they're yeah what they're proposing. Because it's it, then Chuck Schumer gets out yesterday and he goes. Uh, he like stumbled over his words, just trying to get it out. He's like, uh, low, low, again, low they're interest, not no, experts. Yeah. No, yeah. no interest. Low. In, it, it, he didn't know if it was no interest or low interest yeah. because if it's, even if it's low interest, think of this concept, a, a government entity in the interest of public, public health. And let me be very clear. I don't disagree. Okay. I right. don't disagree with any of the, of the policies to try to protect the public, but, They've created a shitstorm as far as the, the, the economy goes for small businesses. Um, and people are hemorrhaging money, you know, left and right. There's, there's businesses that are way worse off than you and me. I mean, imagine if we owned a movie theater. Imagine yeah. if we owned a nail salon. Yeah. The, you know, like this is not. No, my business is doing okay. Yeah. We're, we're I've been through a crazy churn where, you know, 25% of my business left because the coronavirus destroyed their business, but then another 25% came on because coronavirus is an opportunity for them and right. they need PR. Right. So it's been a crazy- You're actually in a pretty good position there. Yeah, yeah. it's been a crazy tap dance. Right. Uh, and and that's, you know, that's a lot of kind of strain on the system in the company, but at least in terms of theoretical revenue, it's been a pretty much even. See, so now, the way I was trying to explain to Sherry last night was, um, so you take you have you have a government entity, or, or, or just say the government it doesn't have to be an entity. I don't have to use extra words. Um, the government decides they're going to shut down commerce in the interest of public health. Fine. Then they say, well, we understand that you still need revenue coming in, and we want to help you to continue to pay your employees. So we're going to give you loans. Okay. Um, if you loan me money and then charge me interest on that money that you've loaned when you were the one who created the situation in the first place. Yeah. I mean, isn't that how mafia operations operate? That's <laughs> like, 
I'm going to give you protection. Also. You're going to pay me. <laughs> you're going to pay me for protection. Why? Protection from who? From me. Because I'm going to come beat you up if you don't pay me. Yeah. That, that to me, it seems very like, and I, and I, I get that that's a very, you know, kind of maybe elementary way of looking at it. But if you create, and, and, and obviously you can fall back, we didn't create the coronavirus. We didn't create the global pandemic. No, you didn't. But you have to be res- responsible for the actions that you take in your response to it. Yeah. Right? Um, and again, I don't disagree with social distancing, and which I think is the dumbest freaking term I've ever heard in my life, but whatever. We, we're on to it. Um, I don't disagree with these policies, but just make it right. That That's, you know, or however it is. You either have to give me, like, I never in a million years thought that we might, that our business might be in jeopardy due to like a a source outside of our control yeah if we're not making money uh, then we're not doing a very good job yeah right or you know if uh you know we start getting a bad reputation or uh you know people just maybe aren't interested in obstacle training anymore and we don't pivot in, in order to stay relevant then okay that's something we can control but i never in a million years thought somebody would just come and go nope you can't be open yeah oh what do I do then? They're like, well, go home and school your kids. Oh, great. <laughs> oh, also, yeah, we're going to take all sports away. Oh, okay. Yeah, also, Amazon's going to start delivering two weeks from now. Huh? <laughs> like, It's just like one thing after another after another. And I'm just sitting here going, uh-huh. <laughs> like, it's up to my neck. Okay, it's up to my mouth. It's up to my Okay. No, I do think that whole the whole thread of the of the communication from the government about this stimulus, and I think I think it's more properly thought of less as a stimulus and more of a um, you know a a bridge <clears throat> bridge financing for businesses and individuals. But a really interesting thread of it is that concept of responsibility. It's no fault of their own. They keep saying people these businesses are in trouble through no fault of their own. I think it's a really interesting concept, and I. I, 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 you hear a lot of like a lot of there's a lot lots of references to whether it's somebody's fault. You know, like we talk about the abortion debate. Well, it's it's not the baby's fault. You know, the baby deserves People to be protected. People are always one to assign blame, but every, you know, for everything. But then later in life, if we're going to put you to death for you know committing a crime, that is your fault. So we do get yeah. to put you to death for that. So there's there's lots of like you know interesting cultural beliefs around responsibility. And you know, I think you could you could look at this at this situation and say, oh, this business isn't responsible for the fact that it's failing. I'm not talking about your business, but um, you know, well, I'm I, completely responsible. <laughs> you know, like I did a lot of things in my business to try to be ready for an economic downturn, which I figured was likely. I didn't think it would be this insane dropping off a cliff, mm-hmm. but I felt like okay, things are really good here in 2018 and 2019. I should be paying down debt, <clears throat> getting a credit line in place. Uh, figuring out what expenses I can cut when I need to, mm-hmm. so I'm ready when the you know the next recession comes because it always does. So you know if you didn't do that for your business, I don't. I mean I think in a lot of businesses you can't. Mm-hmm. My point is there's responsibility. Sure, there's responsibility. But it's got nothing to do with it. Yeah, you know is, it, this is far outside the realm of responsibility. Exactly, I mean, it, exactly. It, and I, and I think in a lot of ways everything is beyond the realm of responsibility. I mean, most things are beyond the realm of responsibility. Maybe we're coming to, you know, kind of coming face to face with uh, this, uh, our just lack of control. We're like, so this was, it was one thing that I, you know, we talk about having to manage employees and communication and kind of harken back to that is it like, 
at the end of the day, we're, we're all seeking control, whether it's, you know, through our training or through, um, you know, our, our daily life, you know, the, the, the way that we surround ourselves with our homes and with our businesses or like here, for example, like, you know, I created this little nook to have conversations in because like I needed a place to feel comfortable. Like I'm in control. So in, in this building, I joke all the time that like we started the gym because we wanted to change people's lives. But I think really what I wanted to do was change my own. And now I can't work out at my own gym because there's too many <laughs> other things going on that like, I just, I'm like, Oh, well, all right. I won't do that now. Like getting the shop out of the back and, you know, moving it over here has, has been helpful. And that, you know, the back room now is hopefully like, you know, all these elements of, of control are really, now we're coming face to face with this idea that a global pandemic could hit at any time. And all the things that I thought I could control, opening my doors at 10 in the morning and closing them at 10 at night, you know, being open seven days a week. Oh, I need more employees. Great. That's something I can control. I can interview and hire more employees. Oh, I need to cut costs on paper towels. Sure. I can control where we get them from. Um, oh, my, my, you know, daughter isn't doing really well in school. Uh, sure. I can help her with her reading. I can control that. Yeah. Um, but underlying all that is just, it's such a thin veneer right. that we're able to control any of this because at any given time, like a couple of years ago, what was it? Uh, North Korea. I remember like, it's just like, everybody was freaking out. We're going to get nuked. North Korea is going to nuke us. Who knows? Maybe that threat's still there, but like, I don't hear about it in the news anymore. People were convinced that we were going to be, you know, I had clients yelling at me because they were like, you're an idiot. If you don't think that North Korea is going to nuke us in the next 10 years. Uh, I don't think anybody saw it. Well, I shouldn't say because that sounds like Trump. He said that yesterday. He was like, nobody could have seen this no coming. No one ever could have known. There was a guy. He was on Rogan's podcast. Like the two first time ago. ever. Um, what was it? Michael Osterholm, I think his name was. He wrote a book about it three years ago. It was like, yeah, it's coming. <laughs> and like, and you even said the Obama administration after the Zika virus they saw. Oh yeah, people have been predicting, um, predicting pandemic for a long time. Yeah, yeah. you're right. Control is an illusion. And the Buddhists knew that. Um, if only we would listen to them. Very Zen. <clears throat> I don't mind, you know, hearkening back to a little, uh, you know, nostalgia for antiquity. Uh, you know, I, I feel like when when life was far less complicated, people had a lot of time to think about the things that maybe really matter. You know, or to or to get super deep and introspective into what makes them tick. Yeah. Right. Um, what was I, oh, you know, a couple months ago when I was having that issue with my heart and I was worried that I was, you know, going to die. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I went to my doctor and, and uh, he was like, well, what do you do to relax? And I was like, I don't, I don't know. I, like, <laughs> I, I, I play Wordscapes on my phone. <laughs> and he's like, that's not a, that's, you, no, that's just something you do. He goes, that, that's not relaxing. I'm like, well, I, I mean, I do it a lot. <laughs> And then a few months later, I'm sitting there with my therapist and she's going, okay, so I want you to go to a relaxing place. And I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> she's like, think of a beach. I'm like, oh gosh. Yeah, the problem is, Nate, wherever you go, there you are. Right. I'm, I'm like, okay, I'm thinking of a beach. Okay, now I'm thinking about Sherry yelling at me because I didn't, I forgot something in the car or like the kids are complaining because the sand is hot or like, Oh, better watch them down by the water. Oh, they might get snatched up. Oh, Oh, I stepped on a shell. I'm hungry. Like everything with kids at this age, 
I used to have relaxing places. Yeah. When I was single. <laughs> I <think. laughs> and now, and I think part of that is like maybe I, maybe I'm jealous of of uh, of narcissists or or people who are. I don't know. Maybe there's another word for it. People who are selfish. Yeah. People who like carve out times for themselves. Yeah. And are able to just say, um, you know, th- this is me time. Right. You know, who are able to prioritize that. Um, and maybe when you get like your kids are a little bit older, right? I'm a selfish narcissist. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, as they, you know, maybe as your kids get older, that becomes easier. It to does do. get easier. Yeah. 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 Parenting, man, you really got the got the trifecta you got the you know the business the kids the midlife crisis got it all at once it's uh i did go out and it's buy not easy that was probably if that, if that was my midlife crisis you know that's hopefully it's getting past i don't know I'm, I'm gonna be 40 this year and that was the other thing i wanted to talk to you about so you're about 10 years ahead of me what 50 53 53 okay so i just read and this is what made me feel really old do you know tony hawk is 50 like he's closer to your age than he is to mine. Yeah, he's a bad, still a badass dude. He is, and he was just in in Men's Health this month. And like the other thing that I've noticed is when do wardrobes stop? Like you know, my, my grandparents' wardrobe you know probably stopped in like the late '60s, early '70s. <laughs> right. My my parents' wardrobe. Is, I mean, some yeah. people they don't. I, I guess some I, people stay fashion icon up until the end. Maybe. I, I look forward to the day where I don't have to like put that much effort. Yeah. You know, Get some sons about slacks and some heavy duty. No, poly I mean, it and... doesn't have to be a throwback, but like, you know, <laughs> I, I think that was the other thing when I noticed I started buying multiple of the same thing. So like I have my classic, you know, action athletics <laughs> polo shirt. I have six of them. <laughs> like it's just, I know, I know what I like. Like we're, you know, the, these, you know, Highly shirts they're, they're that is just, an old man thing, isn't it? I, I yeah. have my whole drawer full These of like jeans the jeans fit me well. I'm gonna buy eight pairs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when I found those Lululemon ABC pants, I was like, I'm gonna get three or four pairs because I'm just gonna wear them to work every day. And maybe, <laughs> and so maybe that's what we need in this, uh, in this time, whether it's over the next four weeks or eight weeks or whatever it is, or maybe it's just this unsettling time. I mean, Donald Trump still has a tie that goes down to his taint, <laughs> that's comforting, right. Every day, that tie. Every day, it's, it's like, does he wear the same blue jacket too? Like, I, I remember when like the biggest scandal in the Obama administration was that he the wore tan a, the tan suit. How can Trump suits be so ill-fitting? Is what I don't understand. I think it's because his body is just weird shapes, man. Like, I. But it, doesn't he have good tailors? I mean, it's not like he's cheap. You know, he likes gold toilets, who? right? I mean, he likes fancy stuff for himself. Should you gotta watch the Netflix thing, man. It's, really it's expensive so suits funny. that are really expensively tailored. To hear the NBC producers talk about him and how irrelevant he was, and how they brought him back to relevancy. Now, obviously, if you're if you're doing a do, a documentary, and, and there's those air quotes again, like I use the phrase loosely, it's there's an agenda there. You don't make a, a series called Dirty Money. And be like, well, let's look at this from an objective perspective. No, you're going to be out to vilify the guy. Right. So you're going to find people that are going to talk shit on him. And you're going to find, you know, you're going to paint him in a bad light. You're going to use the sound bits that fit your narrative. Right. Um, but to hear those NBC producers talk about it, they're like, yeah, we wanted to paint him out to just be this ridiculous character. This guy who lives in Trump he Tower. He's a ridiculous in a, character. In a gold mansion. Like, you know, it, it sounded so ridiculous. They, they invented that boardroom. 
from the show. He's like, there was no room like in Trump Tower that looked like that. But we figured he won. He was going to be this, you know, powerful guy. He needed to sit in this big, powerful chair and he needed to boss people around. So we we studioized it. And I'm like, ah, right. You can't trust shit that you see on TV. It's true. You can't trust anything. And maybe, just maybe, that's kind of why I like this format. Like, I, I like this idea that two people can sit down and have a conversation. Yeah. Like, this isn't monetized. I don't have any advertising. There's no producer in my ear saying, all right, Scott, today you're going to be the guy that thinks Nate's a dick, but is pretending to be his friend. And, <laughs> right. Right. And, you know, and, and I'm sure there will be a number of podcasts that we get into that that deal with you know, A&W, and I'm certainly not out to, to trash, you know, my cash cow. Uh, because without that show, I probably wouldn't have a business. Right. But, you know, there's there's a reason why I'm not as passionate about it as I used to be. Yeah. Um, and I think it's it's just... And I don't think it's true you wouldn't have a business. Because you had a business before A&W. Well, sure. I th- it would have been a very different business, right? Who knows? Maybe we'd still be allowed to be open. But, um, you know, we'll get in... Uh, I'm, I'm sure at some point we'll get into... Whether like uh, Mike's coming in later today, uh, international ninja superstar Mike Ravert um, is going to sit down, and we'll you know who knows how fast I can turn these things out. You know, maybe we can get conversations. We can do the Joe few. Rogan eight hours of content a week. I, well, I mean, I think <laughs> over a couple of days, it's about it's a matter of how much my wife will let me do it. Yeah, because she's she, probably pretty glad to have you out of the house. Yeah. So, what time <laughs> do you got to get out of here? Uh, I got another fifteen twenty minutes. Okay, cool. Um. So let's bring it back to, to the, well, sure. Uh, how's like you texted me last night, asked how we were doing. Um, it's I imagine it's very much like how you guys are doing. You know, the kids are home. I mean, your kids are older now; they're a little bit more self sufficient. But, um, you know, just trying to stay on top of everything, right? There's it, all of a sudden there's a ton more juggling that needs to be done, and uh, Sherry's really picked up the reins of teacher at the house she has like you know the kitchen counter set up with the the books and you know dylan's learning spanish and i don't speak hardly any spanish and certainly not enough to to teach her but i can you know do the math and you know i can read to her in english and whatnot um but you know she's having very real concerns about uh what happens if we run out of food like little things will pop up like this right so the girl's uh, usually on Saturday mornings, we take them to Dunkin' Donuts because right before team practice, like that's their their tradition. It started one time as like a special thing. I don't know if your kids used to do this, but like we do one time as a special thing and then it just became a regular We do this thing. every day, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah so yeah, yeah. so now every Saturday we go to Dunkin' Donuts. And, you know, last week I went in and they had, you know, Dylan gets her double chocolate donut and Reese gets her cho- strawberry frosted and I get my iced coffee. And usually I get a coffee roll because, you know, I'm a piece of crap. And so <laughs> now that they're home all the time and all the days are running together, they're like, is today Dunkin' Donuts Day? Yeah. I'm like, I got to get you out of the house. Like, let's let's go for a drive. Sure. Like, let's just go. It'll be an adventure, something nice just to kind of keep you guys happy. And so the last two times we went, um, we tried to get our usual order. And they're like, oh, we're out of that. And... You know, then like the last two times I went to the grocery store just to pick up some average things, all of a sudden there's not things. And yeah. Dylan only eats like six things. So yeah. like if they're out of any of that, I'm screwed. When the food starts to dwindle and it's starting to run down, like that's when there, there's been these few moments where it starts to feel 
real. Yeah. Where this is actually a problem. You know, like check the bank accounts the other day, knowing that payroll's coming up and rent's due and all this stuff. And I'm looking at the numbers and I'm going, oh, yeah, this is real. Um, and then I go to the grocery store and they're, they're literally running out of food. And I'm like, oh, man. You know, now all of a sudden that uneasy, unsettling feeling, yeah. that lack of control sets in. Have you had that at all? A little bit. <clears throat> not with the business so much. Like I said, the business has been okay. And we've, and like I say, we also did a lot of things last year to help be ready for a down year. But I've had moments of panic and but i i pretty quickly take them for what they are which is panic you know and irrational fear Mm. i don't think because a million people go to the store to stock up for keeping their house ready for two weeks and then they go back the next day and they go back the next day because they couldn't get toilet paper they couldn't get hand sanitizer they gotta keep going back and getting more things and other people get panicked and they start you know shoveling every every you know capri sun they can find into their cart that's you know that's natural but the stores are restocking very quickly and and the supermarkets are doing great business i mean they're selling they're selling five times what they used to sell per person so yeah. they're doing they're doing great well, i that's why been... so i'm not too panicked about about food and water and energy and all that stuff i think I really do think, you know, a couple of generations of zombie apocalypse movies have made people really scared. Like they imagine a world where, you know, the Umbrella Corporation has murdered everyone with a virus. And if a genetically modified, you know, Mila Jovovich doesn't show up to save them, they're not going to make it through the next, you know, the Wouldn't next that be the month. thing if they're talking about these uh, coronavirus vaccines and all of a sudden they're like, we've developed a new vaccine. Everybody's <laughs> going to go. And all of a sudden, all the anti-vaxxers are there just going, see, see, I told you. That's already happening. And they're going to be, I'm, I'm sure they That's are. That's already happening. They're talking I'm about so... how the government started this disease oh. so that they could give us a vaccine. I'm so So glad. I guess they could give us another disease. I'm know. not on Facebook. I'm not it, sure it where that makes goes. me, but... uh... But yeah, if Trump comes out and says we've developed a great partnership with Umbrella Corporation, <laughs> oh my God, he he comes out all the time and like I've been it's so, I hate to keep coming back to Trump and say, like I want to just talk about other stuff, but it's 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 such a a force like you know it's just this thing that you know this elephant. It's in the, the room. worst crisis for him, you know, because because you know getting back to what we were saying before about you know being charismatic and being a bullshitter and faking until you make it and just saying whatever works for you over and over again. Uh, it just doesn't work in a situation like this, right? You need, he's not good at projecting, I understand all the data and all the facts. I've consulted with the experts and I'm confident in what we need to do. He's just not good at that. Yeah. He's only good at kind of, you know, reacting to situations and thinking, okay, well, what's the most, you know, polarizing thing that I could say about this? Mm-hmm. And then coming out with a ridiculous statement and then backing it up to the gates of hell. Yeah. Um, he's amazing, you know, well, and at, that's at that really, stuff. But this is a terrible crisis for him. It's really, it's the worst fit for his skill set. I see. It's, it speaks to a larger issue. You know, we, I remember watching the the inauguration, and and them going, yeah, the the peaceful transition of power is a really important thing. And right. I was like, that's such an odd thing to say. What do you think? Obama's just going to punch him? Like in the middle of the thing, or like he's going to be like stomping his feet going, nope, nope, nope. Or, or like, what do you think was going to happen? And then over the last few years, you start to realize that a lot of these, these slow burning trends, like this sort of general distrust 
in the news, uh, the depletion of our reliance on newspapers, yeah. um, the the lack of oversight in journalism anymore. I remember, so when this first came out, there was the, the article in, uh, it was on medium.com that everybody was going nuts over because this guy actually did a pretty pretty good job of a, a, a numerical analysis of how bad this could get. And I had thrown medium.com out a while back, like during the election, because it's not um, accredited journalism. Mm-hmm. It's like, it, it's con- uh, call it contributive. Uh, people right. can just contribute whatever they want to it. Right. And so I was like, oh, they're not checking sources. And so that's a dangerous thing because you can just say whatever you want um, and have, you start to con- blur the line between facts and opinions. And that disrupts everything. Because if you don't know what you can trust to be true and what to not be true, then you become distrustful of everything. Especially with social media. <laughs> yeah. And now and now with the prevalence of social media, it's absolutely terrible. Well, if you had said this back in like the 70s or 80s and be like, people are going to give freely of their personal information so they can feel recognized on like a larger scale. Like that's... Never, never underestimate what someone's willing to give up to be famous, right? We're constantly posting pictures of ourselves on all these social media platforms that we don't pay for. If you're not paying for it, you're the product. And so then we get mad when Facebook goes and sells our facial data to a a company that's engaging in facial recognition software that can now turn around and make up faces, that they've gotten so good at it. And like we're sitting there watching, I'm, I'm playing a PlayStation 4 game the other day and I'm looking at the, the renderings of like the faces and, and we're looking at Pixar movies or whatever. The technology is getting so good. Well, yeah. Where do you think that comes from? Like they're literally analyzing thousands of faces. I'm not trying to go down a conspiracy rabbit hole here, but like if we take a look at them, we go, we're just giving it up for free. We're just, I, oh, I just want, I want those likes. Is that why they call it Facebook? I mean- who knows <laughs> whatever Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> is capable of. But like, I, I looked at it because I'm, I'm off Facebook now and I'm really happy that I am. But like, say you're, you know, so say you're. It's coming back in the coronavirus. Now everybody's back on Facebook. Because oh it's a great way to stay in touch, especially I'm, with the olds. Yeah. See, that that's, you know, way to my generation, way to take something cool and then our parents get a hold of it. And then we're like, nope, <laughs> not going to do it anymore. <laughs> but like. So, so if you're engaging in misinformation like that, and now all of a sudden Facebook, because they want to do well, they want to do right by their shareholders, and they want to build their company into something, they're going to go, oh, let's offer more news. Let's do Facebook news, but let's fit it in our algorithm. So let's start feeding people only what they want to hear. And then the long-term ramifications of that are that you're only hearing, you're, you're, in, you're stuck in an echo chamber. And all of a sudden, you're galvanizing these opinions and these feelings about things that maybe aren't necessarily based in the full spectrum of facts. And so now you have a polarized population. Well, when things are polarized, naturally they're going to start coming at odds. And so now our entire political climate is based on people just yelling at each other across the room about these deep-rooted beliefs that they somehow have that are based on minimal fact. Right. At at most, it's impossible to keep up with everything. Yeah, I mean, you know, opinion and position has always been polarized. And if you look back in history, there's been incredible polarization, ridiculous stuff in the media and 
you know, fistfights in Congress and all kinds of crazy shit. There's been fistfights in Congress? Oh, yeah. Yeah. People beating each other with canes back what? in the 1800s. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's, you know. Back when men were men. They had duels, you know, right? Aaron, oh, yeah, Burr. Aaron Burr and Andrew Hamilton. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, social media, like you started with Russia and how they kind of looked at how to, you know, increase the chaos. And social media was a great tool for that because, like you say, the algorithm creates all this extra momentum, you know, the, the pendulum of of uh, polarization, you know, swings uh, back and forth relatively slowly, but the algorithms accelerate it. Mm-hmm. Like you say, they give you more and more of what you're, what you're thinking and they reinforce your biases and push you farther and farther, faster and faster. Mm-hmm. So the Russians, you know, sort of looked at American culture and thought, oh yeah, we got all these factions, you know, pro-life and racist and woke and, you know, all these factions that are very, you know, passionate about certain things. If we just give them a little push in the right direction, we're going to move them farther apart faster and it's going to be more chaotic. Yeah. Well, the algorithm, you know, was like a big weight at the end of that pendulum mm-hmm. that made it swing faster and farther. I mean, I think it swings back too, you mm-hmm. know, and I, I really see this, this coronavirus as, uh, like I said, a, a really bad fit for the Trump style. And it works really well when there isn't a big global crisis that requires a, a a leader you can trust and information you can trust. But as soon as you need that, I think, man, that pendulum swings the other way real quick. Mm-hmm. And people are like, man, we cannot, you know, we cannot live in a world where we cannot trust government and media at all. We got to get rid of this guy that's making it sound like everything we hear is a lie. And it's going to swing the other way real quick. So it's easy to put. Trump, obviously, you know, because he puts himself out there, uh, you know, as the center of everything, it's easy to make him the center of everything. Right. But he's not alone in, in a couple of the things that you just said, you know, like this, this, uh, the, the thought that came to mind was sort of like the, the weaponization of thoughts and opinions. Right. Um, you know, Fox News, MSNBC, um, even the Washington Post to an extent. Um, now we have a, a spectrum of where our news resources fall, yeah. right or left. That, to me, is one of the, the most irresponsible things that you can possibly do. We've, been, we've introduced capitalism into news reporting. Yeah. And so now they have an incentive to feed us a certain narrative. And like, I, I struggle because like now I can't, I, I can't watch MSNBC anymore. I'm like, yeah, I know, I know what your agenda is. It's any anything that Trump does is bad. Yeah, you know anything that the that the left does is good. The same news, same way with Fox News. Yeah, you know they're like, oh, blumbering Joe Biden. Like, it's as soon as and again, it comes back to Trump. As soon as he introduced a name calling into, he can't even like. Did you ever read the uh, uh, Sebastian Younger book, Tribe? No. Um, I read Into Thin Air. I like that a lot, and. Uh, Some of his other books, but Perfect Storm, yeah. Um, Yeah, he talked about how, like, in in tribal culture... um, Into Thin Air was Krakow. Oh. Sorry. Uh, The the disruption or disrespect of even a political or tribal rival, like someone within the tribe. So say there were two... Let's just make a hypothetical situation. Say there were two guys who were uh, jockeying for position of chief of the tribe. If the one tribal member insulted the other one by saying he doesn't want what's best for the tribe or he's 
you know, incapable of this, or he, he doesn't have your best interests in mind. That's like the, the biggest, uh, I hate to use the phrase. No, no. It's, it's, it's like one of the biggest, uh, taboos. Yeah, sure. That's fine. Word. Um, that you can commit and you could be ostracized from the tribe for doing that, for thinking that anybody doesn't want. And, and how often do we hear that in our modern political rhetoric? They're like, oh, Elizabeth Warren doesn't want what's best for this country. Yeah. Oh, Obama's a Muslim. Like these, these things get thrown out or we're sitting here bashing on Trump. Did it ever occur to us that maybe he wants what's best for the country? I can't honestly sit here and tell you that I think that he does. But the very fact that that's a thought that we're having, that's the real issue, right? Yeah. Is that we put someone in power and, and that's become okay. That's become okay for our political rivals to look at each other and say, not just, hey, I think I'd do a better job than you would. And here's my ideas of why I think I would. But they're sitting there going, not only do I dislike your ideas, I think you're dangerous. I think that you don't have the intentions of the best people. I, I think you're a bad person. I think you cheat on your wife and you cheat on your taxes and you're, you know, you don't go to church enough and all right. those like we we personally attack, you know, the people around us and then we wonder how we end up like this. Yeah. This is I mean it's literally resorted to to schoolyard name calling. I mean and again, I don't think it's new. I'm sure this goes back to, you know, to to your, you know, the 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 tribal uh, examples you 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 gave. I'm I'm sure this goes back to you know, caveman days, mm -hmm. uh, the idea of undermining the, you know, the, the motivations of the, of the opponent, but we really have, you know, raised it to an art and it's amazing when you can, you can do it, you know, in a population of this size, you get 300 million people that you're, you know, that you're dividing. I've always been fascinated by the fact that, you know, our national elections almost always come out 49, 51 yeah. and how you can get 300 people to divide. So, so completely but you know we've gotten really good at that yeah you know and and i i do think it's a mistake though that that people look i mean trump is maybe one of the most extreme examples but you know newt gingrich was was really was really similar you know mm -hmm. the man was the master of the wedge issue mm -hmm. take take an issue find the most extreme you know partial birth abortion whatever you know example you have and just hammer on that to divide mm -hmm. uh the country and you know the politicians uh, and leaders of all kinds have always, I've always done that. I've always said, uh, you know, follow me because you're the best and you're better than everybody else. And you have better beliefs and better morals and better ethics. And we're going to be the best and no one else is going to, you know, is going to stand up to us because we're better. Mm -hmm. And whether you're a imam in the, uh, in the ghettos of Baghdad or whether you're Donald Trump in the White House, you're doing the exact same thing, trying to whip up people by making them feel like they're better and and morally superior than everybody else and using those wedge issues as your way to kind of starkly divide people and give them the ability to say, yeah, I am different from you. I'm, I believe this and you believe that. It's like the, uh, I think we talked about this once, the, the classic Star Trek episode with the black face on one side and the white face on the other. This is a cl original Star Trek, and there was this classic episode where they got these two aliens on board the ship um, that were at war with each other. Their people were at war with each other. Pretty classic Star Trek premise. Yeah, and they both had um, they both had this skin color where they had a uh, a dividing line right down the middle of their face. One side was black, one side was white, 
And you so they're never fighting, shoot that these they're days. fighting, fighting, fighting with each other. And they're disagreeing about everything. And they're just so, you know, angry at each other. And finally, you know, Kirk is, is saying, you guys, I don't see why you can think you're so different from each other. You look exactly the same. Mm-hmm. And they look at them like, are you kidding? He's black on the right side and white on the left side. I'm white on the right side and black on the left side. Hmm. And it was, you know, an allegory for race relations, but, but it's not, you know, it's not ridiculous. We take, we take these extremely arbitrary, you know, uh, divisions to say that, oh, we're so different and so much better and so much worse. And come on, really, if you, if you believe, you know, that uh, life begins at conception or life begins at birth, is that really such a huge difference? It doesn't have to be because and that's kind of goes back and this is kind of a good place to wrap it up. I would imagine is like, you know, we look for those things to to divide ourselves on because maybe we necessarily want to be part of a subset or feel like we're we're special in that. Um, But we can't continue to lump people into these larger groups based on singular beliefs. Right. Like it's it does no one any good to say, oh, you voted for Trump. I hate you. That's that's the dumbest thing you could ever say. Yeah. That person could enhance your life in ways that you you have no idea. I agree. And it's wrong on the other side for them to say, "Oh, you you know, libtard cuck. You know, you're net, where where are your guns? Why don't you, I, I don't know, man. Why are you lumping me in the, in that thing too? Like, hey, did you see the new Burt Kreischer special? It's pretty funny, huh? Yeah, it was. Well, there's something where you can start, right? Maybe I'm just because I've grown up watching so much stand-up comedy that like to me that's such a such a reflection it has to be an honest reflection of how we look at it ourselves and how we treat each other if you go back to the, like you know george carlin uh you know richard Pryor, sam kiss all the all the classics I'm leaving out one very conspicuous uh <laughs> american dad uh <laughs> but funny is funny and 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 comedy comes down to universal truths that we have to look at ourselves in the mirror and look at our reflection and laugh at. Yeah. Um, and that's why we laugh. You're like, I've done that. Yeah, I'm, I'm just that dumb. And presented in such a way that we go, oh, is it that big of a deal? Nah, eh, not if I really laugh about it. Right. You know? What is it? Comedy equals tragedy plus time. I'm sure right. a year from now we're going to be sitting here going, man, that coronavirus thing was nuts. Like, <laughs> dude, remember when people were like binge buying toilet paper? They probably still haven't used all that toilet paper that they bought. Like, who knows? Um, where can people find you on social media? Because you are one hell of a trolling tweeter. <laughs> <laughs> I am uh, at S. Scott Collins on Twitter. And you can find uh, my company, Aria Marketing, in, uh, in the World Wide Webs at ariamarketing.com. And we've got uh, Twitter and, and LinkedIn and Facebook pages to, uh, to reflect that identity as well. I hope everybody will come uh, come check us out. Very good. Scott, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for stopping by this morning. Uh, I'm sure we'll probably do this again sometime. We tackled a lot of big, big topics today. Maybe we could uh, lighten it up the next time, talk about farts and poop or comic books. Those are always a good one. We'll do, oh, excellent. Yes. A we'll comic do the, book episode. Uh, we'll do the comic book episode uh, with Scott here. And who knows how long this uh uh, quarantine or whatever lockdown will go on. I'm pretty sure you and I are going to have a lot of time on our hands. A lot of time on our hands. So we'll, we'll do it again soon. Thanks for stopping right. by. Thanks, Nate.